Welcome to Because That's What Heroes Do, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. As you know from prior episodes, Megan Doherty, co-founder of One Stone Creative, and I are huge MCU fans. So we've decided to do the MCU movie oeuvre. That's right. We're going to do all of the MCU movies in this special podcast series. Over this series, we will take a look at the storylines, some of the cookies and other cool things. We'll describe the great action scenes from each um, episode, and then we'll take a look at issues raised by each episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. We will take things from the societal angle, from the social justice angle, from the MCU angle, and perhaps even from the compliance angle. But if you're an MCU fan or you're a compliance fan, I know you'll enjoy, in this episode, Spider-Man Far From Home. Because That's What Heroes Do is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks so much for listening. This story begins with Nick Fury and Marie Hill investigating an unnatural storm and encounter the Earth element. Quentin Beck, a superpowered individually, arrives to defeat the creature and is subsequently recruited by Fury and Hill. In New York City, the Midtown School of Science and Technology completes its year, which was restarted to accommodate the students who were previously disintegrated in the blip. They had reappeared unaged thanks to the actions of the Avengers. The school organizes a two-week summer field trip to Europe where Peter Parker, who is still in mourning over the death of his mentor, Tony Stark, plans to reveal to his girlfriend, MJ, his undying attraction to her. Happy Hogan informs Parker that he tends to contact him, but Parker ignores Nick Fury's phone call. Parker and his classmates travel to Venice, where the water element attacks. Parker helps protect his classmates, while Quentin Beck arrives and defeats the creature. Fury meets with Parker and gives him Stark's glasses, which were meant for his successor. The glasses enable Parker to communicate with and take command of the artificial intelligence person, Edith, which has access to Stark Industries databases and commands a huge orbital weapons supply. Beck claims to have entered from an alternative, alternate reality within the multiverse where the four elementals killed his family and destroyed his civilization. With only the fire element left to destroy, Quentin Beck predicts it will attack Prague. Parker declines Fury's invitation to join the fight and returns to his class trip. Fury secretly changes the class's itinerary to divert the students to Prague. There, Peter Parker is forced to help Beck fight the fire elemental, to protect his friends yet again. Beck manages to destroy the creature with Parker's help. Fury and Hill invite Parker and Beck to Berlin to discuss the transformation, or formation rather, of a new superhero team, but Parker decides that Beck should go alone and transfers control of the Edith AI to him. Once Parker leaves, Beck celebrates alongside X. Stark employees, that's other ex-Stark employees, with whom he has been working to masquerade as a superhero. Beck, who was fired from his position as Stark's holographic illusionist specialist for his unstable nature, used advanced projectors to simulate his powers and that of the elementals. And now he hopes to use Edith's 
orbital weaponized drones to increase the scale of his illusion and fraudulently establish himself as an Avengers-level hero. After MJ tells Parker she knows he is Spider-Man, they discover that a piece of debris she retrieved during the fight with a fire elemental is a projector which shows the air elemental, leading them to realize Beck's deception. Parker travels to Berlin to warn Fury, only be tricked by Beck with an illusionary Fury into revealing the names of his friends who know about Beck's plan and is hit by a train. Left for dead by Beck, Parker contacts Hogan, who flies him to London, where his classmates are now located. Beck uses the Edith AI to orchestrate a fusion of all of the elementals as a cover to kill Parker's friends. Parker is able to disrupt the illusions, so Beck attacks him with drones. Parker again regains control of the Edith AI and defeats Beck, who is hit by a misfired gunshot from one of the drones. Before he dies, Beck tells one of his associates to retrieve data from the other drones, and after returning to New York City, Parker begins a relationship that's a long-overdue relationship with MJ. Uh, Jonah Jameson of the Daily Bugle broadcasts doctored footage of the London Bridge incident fight in which Quentin Beck framed Spider-Man for the drone attacks and his death before exposing Spider-Man's secret identity to the world, of course, Peter Parker. This is all much to Parker's shock. In the post credit scenes, Fury and Hill are revealed to be Skrulls, Talos, and Soren in disguise under orders from the real Nick Fury while he is away commanding a Skrull spaceship. Next, I discuss the movie with Megan Doherty. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with Megan Doherty for the award winning, because that's what heroes do. We took a slight detour into Star Trek The Next Generation in our last podcast, but we're back on the MCU for the first of two consecutive Spider-Man movies. The first one is Far From Home. So Megan and I have already laid out the synopsis, and now we're going to move to our thoughts. Where do you want to start? I would like to start, please, right at the beginning of the movie with that absolutely epic Tony Stark tribute video. Because it was so perfect. It makes me remember my early high school, I think grade nine, AV class, where you learn the very basics of video editing and you have to make your little animations. You're learning all of the different functions of the video editor. It was perfect. It was great. And I love the student talking about how they're adapting to being back after the blip and not really understanding what's going on and feeling like in some way the adults in their lives have let them down terribly, which I think is probably accurate. It just, it was so realistic and so relatable. And that carried, I think, through the entire movie. I got a completely different sense. (laughs) Tell me your sense. Teen angst. Stupid boys. The girls always know everything. They always kiss you first. All you got to do is show some interest, man up, and they're right there just waiting for you to kiss them, and you never do, and they kiss you first, and then, you know, it's all. So I'm always intrigued by that. Having to watch that again is just so painful. It, uh, it, it was so, like, you're cringing, I think, on behalf of the kids. Cause, oh, I was there. Sounds like you were there. We've all been there. (laughs) We've all been there. Not that we would ever have a cross-cultural reference, but in Star Wars, when Han Solo says, women always know. 
So girls always know. That's what I thought of. But there was so lies, much in chicanery this. and lies. Yeah. This was a great travelogue. Love Venice. My wife loves Venice, so we love seeing Venice. That was sort of very cool. Walking into a flooded hotel. The first time we went to Venice in the middle of the night, I hear an alarm go off. And I thought, oh, there's a fire, honey. We got to get out of here. And she goes, oh, don't worry. It's high water alarm. So we, I walk down to the lobby the next morning, and it's up to my hips. I would worry huh. about a high water alarm. That, that <laughs> does not sound comforting to me. We learned about Venice pretty quick. But uh, <laughs> Venice and then Mysterio was, I thought, a great villain. Mm. Really interesting dynamics going on there that perhaps we can get into. Aunt May and Happy, the adult mirror of MJ <laughs> and Peter. Obviously a little further along and, and advanced whatever you might want to call it. But that was fun to watch, too. I even like the different the monsters that Mysterio was cool. acting or pretending to destroy were the four elements, earth, wind, fire, and water. So I thought that was cool. The Nick Fury dynamic in there, it was so... I don't think the acting or his focus changed from any of his movies. He's all about the mission. He's all about protecting mm -hmm. Earth. But it was... That was his single role in that movie. And so we saw it as starkly as we could. He didn't care what Peter was going through. He didn't care that he was about to profess undying love to the first love of his life. He didn't care about Aunt May. He didn't care about Happy. He cared about protecting the earth. And it was so clear, you either in or you're out, Parker. And then the reveal at the end with the cruel was just way too cool. The Edith AI, oh boy, talk about presaging chat chat GPT this week. I, mean, I just read an article in the New York Times where the tech editor said she was creeped out by the chatbots. I am creeped out by the chatbots. I do not think the world needs an Edith. I do not think we need a Skynet. I think. So all of that was just the whole storyline and then of course having it in europe i just love a travel log to mm -hmm. europe prague is a gorgeous just a gorgeous city if you've never been there london is my favorite city on earth so anytime i can see those it, admittedly with a lot of cgi but that all of that was just way too cool i've been to um, the netherlands i've been to the netherlands and they okay. are in fact very nice very <laughs> nice in the netherlands and then we got to see berlin a lot in there what were your thoughts on the overall oh the, the overall plot i thought was pretty heartbreaking. They did not pull any punches in terms of trying to make us feel things. Peter Parker is in this process of grieving and this equally emotionally intense process of uh, successfully having a relationship with a human female his own age. And But he's lonely. He, he, Aunt May is a little overbearing uh, as much as she is loving. And he's lost his father figure. His father figure is gone and has given him the keys to the kingdom. And then his new father figure, Daddy Mysterio, shows up. And looking back at everything that happened after watching it the first time, you're like, oh, okay, there were a bunch of red flags that went on here. I just wanted him to have a dad so much that I was completely willing to buy that Mysterio was real and was going to take Peter under his wing. And I thought Peter's desire to have that help, that authority, who was a lot nicer to him than Nick Fury ever was. So when it ended up turning around, I thought that was pretty heartbreaking. I don't know why, but I had completely forgotten the whole Mysterio backstory about being, they were all ex-employees from Tony Stark's company. And great, great choice. Yeah. Great choice. Was, Who hasn't had that boss? 
He must have been awful to work for. It made me realize or made me think about the, all of those people were just a little bit twisted. And Twitter today, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. But they were. As they much were as he all, wants to be, Elon Musk is not Tony Stark. <laughs> he's not Tony Stark. <laughs> And all of those employees followed Mysterio voluntarily. This was to say, you leave your manager, not your job. And I guess you follow your right. manager too, not your... So all of that was cool, interesting. The The, the battle scenes were just great. Oh, they were so good. The, as I said, the London Bridge was great. The... I just really, I really enjoyed it. What? Any more thoughts on the overall plot? Overall plot, I thought the tech was really cool. I thought Peter's growing in power and then ultimate kind of sacrifice of power was immensely to his credit. And that happening immediately before the big kind of bad guy reveal. Absolutely brutal. I almost found some of the subplots were, though, were more fun. I loved all of the more minor characters. May and Happy, as you mentioned at the beginning. Hilarious. Ned and Bonnie, I think. Betty. Betty. Betty, not Bonnie. Amazing. <laughs> I absolutely adored them. And of course, Peter and MJ. I love the chemistry that they have together. I love their honesty with each other. And I love that just they're both giant nerds. And that was great. Apparently, I don't know if it's this movie or the one before, they had a torrid affair that they have continued. And I think that screen, that personal chemistry showed up in the screen chemistry. Well, good for uh, them. Because, I hope they're very happy. <laughs> we're very good. But let me pick up on Ned and Betty. Ned and Betty. Because that, to me, was perhaps the more realistic high school romance. Oh, uh, it was so obnoxious and so perfect. <laughs> and so perfect. And when you get opposites like that, who've been teasing each other, particularly boys, would tease girls like that forever. And then you wake up one weekend and, you know, you're in love with them. And it's just, they're just the perfect one. And, and then the girl... Started off as this snobbish type of person you think she's not going to be very... She's actually a sweetheart who's really kind to people in her life. Love that reveal. The anti-mean girl. I think it's great. And then she ran the whole show, and he was just her puppy dog until it was over. And, all, you know, we're adults. All things must end. We've moved See, on. That part, I think, was a little less realistic, because if I remember breakups between the ages of, say, 15 and 18, they weren't so pretty. Typically, Typically. they were very high drama. <laughs> very high drama. Let's move to some cookies because they were delicious throughout. But it, I guess the thing that struck me about this movie as much or more than any of the other MCU, the things that you and I talk about as cookies were really plot points and kind of right up front. And for me, James, the publisher of the newspaper where Peter used to work, I guess he still mm -hmm. works, he's been after Spider-Man, that was a significant plot point at the end of the movie when Stereo wrongly accuses Peter of, of killing him, and then they unmask him and out him. But anytime I could see Jameson, I've loved, I loved him in the comic books, I loved him in the cartoon, and I've loved him in the Spider-Man <laughs> movies. That was great. The Aunt May working in the charity to help feed homeless and underprivileged, I thought was pretty cool. I thought MJ toned down a little the intellectual firepower that we saw in the last one mm -hmm. and her real s in reading and preparing for this podcast it talked about her backstory from the comics as coming from a very dysfunctional home and that that in the comics that's why she developed this sort of rigorous shell to keep people away and they said that translated to the movies by her basically being the most intelligent, sarcastic whip 
on the planet who would put anybody down any time and always be right. We saw that a little bit, but that shell melted away as she and Peter got closer. Oh, exactly. And I think, and we'll talk about this more, I think, in the next episode where we're talking about the next Spider-Man movie, but that sort of armor of misanthropy is, I find really familiar. I've definitely got friends who are like that. <laughs> My friends in high school who were like that. I wished I was as cool as them. Was not. But I think she was great. And she really, the fantastic actor, Zendaya, to be able to convey all that and to be so appealing. Yeah. Ten points. <laughs> points. What I couldn't remember is... This movie was released in 2017, but it takes place after Tony Stark dies. Yeah, I think right after the blip. I think maybe it's the movie that comes immediately after, or Multiverse was first? It's the first one after the blip, but all the guys are back. Yeah. And Nick Fury has almost a throwaway, which I think he says, there aren't supposed to be Kree sleeper cells on Earth. And then, of course, the reveal at the end where the crawls are impersonating Nick and his assistant really gave me a level of complexity around not simply the Captain Avenger story, but the timeline as well and how the crawls had been co-opted into, maybe co-opted is too strong a word, but certainly become allies of the Terrans here on Earth. And the Krees were still going to be a problem. Intergalactic supervillain's going to intergalactic supervillain, I guess. <laughs> I love the idea that you can never actually know that who you're talking to or who you're seeing is who you're seeing. I think that makes it really fun. And I think it, it doesn't necessarily mirror like the secret identities that the some superheroes like Spider-Man have. But I think it does add sort of a tension to everything that you see. And you can never actually be sure what it is that's going on. So I really enjoyed this movie. It was a great travelogue. It had great action, as always, with any MCU movie. The technical fireworks and whiz-bang is just over the top and first rate. I really enjoyed it. Any sort of final thoughts? I think um, in one of the kind of the main boss fight towards the end, when with all of these illusions and holograms and the drone action... I think it really brings through, again, you can't trust anything that you see from this point on. Whether or not that's a character that you know and love who is being impersonated, or whether it's the villain that you're trying to fight that is actually a drone projection, the stakes are high and we just don't. So I think that's going to continue. And I think that becomes much more true when we go to our next episode, which is Spider-Man No Way Home, and we meet the multiverse. Time to meet the multiverse. So I'm Tom Fox, and you are? Megan Doherty. We look forward to chatting with you again. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Because That's What Heroes Do. In our next episode, Megan and I will take up Spider-Man No Way Home, which we both really loved. If you would rate and review our podcast, it would greatly appreciate it. It would help in our rankings to get out the word even further about the award-winning Because That's What Heroes Do. Because That's What Heroes Do is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. I hope you'll join us again. Thanks so much for listening.